0: What's my password? Hey Suri, what's, what's my password? You'll need to unlock your iPhone first. Um, oh, I'll need to unlock my iPhone first. Well, that shouldn't be too hard. That shouldn't be too hard. Good afternoon, everyone. Good morning, good evening. Good nabin, aloha, hello. Figates, Buenasera. Whatever. Whatever. It is. You know what it is. It's Friday. Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Episode 27. On the 25th of September, last week of the month, 2020, The Way It Is, the official Bobby Galinsky podcast. You're here. We're over halfway through the year. For a lot of you that said, you you won't make it. To to five podcasts you, You won't make it to five Well, we're at episode 27 Over six months into it Climbing up the charts only thanks to you Only thanks to you You listeners and subscribers Very grateful So welcome to the show Now, just playing with my password there on my phone And I guess because I'm a bit intrigued from an editorial post in the New York Post, which is a very good paper. It does have occasional fake news, but not too often. But all over the internet, how dozens and dozens, not one, not two, not not five or six, dozens and dozens of phones from the Mueller probe, the fake probe that investigated fake Russia meddling with President Donald Trump in the 2016 election, mysteriously has had dozens and dozens of the phones of the investigators wiped. Wiped. All because, now follow me on this one, these are iPhones, and these are professional CIA FBI, top-level, allegedly top-of-the-tier professional investigators who are very familiar with using their phones. Their phones religiously over a period of a couple of years at taxpayers' expense for millions and millions of dollars. They would know these phones inside out, but mysteriously. This is how I have to stop start the show. It's just, it's a conundrum. It's a riddle wrapped in an enigma. These phones were wiped because they were all put on airplane mode, and then the wrong password was entered 11 or more times, which automatically wipes the phone. How interesting that is. I guess that's just an accident. I guess the Mueller team just needed to erase all their data about collaborating and weaponizing the FBI and CIA to spy on an American candidate. And that's what the world is up to in 2020. But I'll get back to that before too long. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Nine, Died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. My firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And you veterans know what that is? That is... Today in history. It's really sad that I have to do my own production voices that I don't have a crack team of like ninety people to do that. But that's all right. That's all right. And if you're new to the show and you're wondering, wow, what are all those little snippets of history of Kennedy and FDR and Walter Conkrite Walter Cronkite, sorry about that. Cronkrite Conkrite. If you're new to the show, you know that we don't edit out some of the mistakes too. It gives it a sense of humanity for the plurality of people that decide on whether they like my show or not. So if you're new, now you know. We have little tags that say when there's science, bitches, history, baking, what I ate, what I drank, what I'm wearing, what's happening in the world. So we kind of give you a little bit of a a clue of what's going on. Not that I have clueless listeners, but if you have listened to all 26 episodes, 27 with this one, and you're a bit tired of them, please let me know. Because you can comment if you're nice. I don't edit and you know, block people like Twitter and Facebook and the other tech tyrants and things like that. You can go to Dot. Blueberry.net, the way it is, dot Blueberry.net. But Blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. And you can look at all the show notes and say how much you love it. And uh, you can review it and rate it and all, all kinds of good things like that. Um, don't ever try and leave a bad comment. Not only will I erase it because I'm the moderator, but, but I'll fuck you up for life. Um, but uh, on history, let's do it. Let's go back in history. This is a laconic show this week. That's a laconic show. And we're not going back to year zero like we did last week. We're only going back, well, we're actually going to go back just one week to start. Um, When Rosh Hashanah started last Friday, that evening, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, passed away. And for a nice old Jewish lady to pass away on Rosh Hashanah, I think that's kind of groovy. Because this Sunday is Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day of the year for Jews, the day of atonement. When people can ask for forgiveness, other than people like Andrew Weissman, Chuck Schumer, Gerald Nadler, Adam Schiff, Harvey Weinstein. You know, Jews that will never be forgiven. Um, Epstein, he's gone. But uh, adios, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, rest in peace. Now, barrier, and let's fill that seat. But I'm dead serious about that. Get it? Dead serious. Let's go back to 1492. Do you know who Rodrigo de Triana was? Well, in 1492, on this day, on the Pinta, as in the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, Columbus's three ships, in the two o'clock in the morning, he sighted land and said, land, land, approximately two weeks before Columbus thought he would find the new world. And indeed, he was wrong. He was a Spanish sailor believed to be the first European since Leif Erikson to have seen the Americas. And he was born as Juan Rodrigo Benejo. But Triana was the son of Hidalgo and Pater Vincente Berinto and Sereni Bentancur. So he was mistaken when he thought he saw landfall. But a couple weeks later, on October 12, 1492, he sighted land that was called Guanahani by the natives. And after spotting that Bahamian island at approximately 2 o'clock in the morning, also, he is reported to have shouted, Tierra, Tierra, land, land. Columbus claims in his journal that he saw a light like a little wax candle rising and falling four hours earlier, but it was so indistinct he dared not to confirm or affirm it was land. NASA's Deep Space Climate Observatory, a satellite originally intended to provide a near-continuous view of the entire Earth, was initially named Triana, after Rodrigo de Triana. How nice. How nice. In 1639 on this day, the first printing press was used in America. First fake news. In 1639, Suzuki Shosan, samurai monk of Zen Buddhism, found awakening. Now, I'm not sure what found awakening is. Was, it, uh, was he woke? Was he the first woke monk? Get woke, go broke. 1780, on this date, Benedict Arnold joined the British. Traitor, traitor, just like Peter Stroke and Lisa Page of the FBI. We'll talk more about their wiped phones, those traitors. In 1789, U.S. Congress proposed the Bill of Rights. Good idea. First Amendment, Second Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, you know, ability to arm yourself. Back in 1789, they knew we would need all these things. And here we are hundreds and hundreds of years later, and people are trying to take away our freedom of speech, our freedom of expression, our freedom of religion, our right to bear arms. They knew. 1846, U.S. troops under General Zachary Taylor occupied Monterey, Mexico during the Mexican-American War, and that's when all the Mexicans stood up and in unison said, Zachary what are you doing here 1906 Leonardo Torres Quevado Successfully This, this is such a huge event If, if you've just been listening casually if you're, if you're driving I want you to pull over Park and listen to this If you're working out at the gym Put the weights down If you're doing something you shouldn't be doing You know Which is a pretty Wide chasm of things stop and listen. You ready? 1906. Leonardo Torres Quevado successfully demonstrates the telekino at Bilbao before a great crowd. Guiding a boat from the shore considered the birth of the remote control. 1906. Can you imagine your life without the remote control? I was speaking about it with with the boss the other night. We were sitting around and flipping channels. Can you imagine not having remote controls? all the things that are based on ease of operation just because of that? It's amazing. 1912, the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism is founded in New York City. I must admit I had a little bit of a a uh, little bit of an attraction to going there as a uh, journalism major from University of Colorado. but uh, I got tired of studying. But if I had gone on to grad school, that's where I would have gone. An amazing school. 1934, Lou Gehrig, for those of you that are not from America, famous baseball player. Baseball is like cricket with skill and a decision. 1934, Lou Gehrig played in his 1,500th consecutive game. 1,500 consecutive games. Didn't take a break. Didn't get sick. Didn't have covid didn't have a headache. Didn't have to go to the store for milk and bread or something like that. You know, and just a game or whatever like that. 1,500 consecutive games. That's work ethic. 1954. My hero, Francois-Doc Duvalier, wins the Haitian presidential election. The Duvaliers were such a fantastic family. They made Haiti great again. And especially Baby Doc, Baby Doc Duvalier and his very, very pretty and a pretty insane wife Michelle Duvalier, 197. And actually Haiti, I was in Haiti in 1977. Went down to Haiti on a uh, little bit of a Dominican Republic slash Haiti holiday with some friends, which was actually a Dominican Republic holiday. But we kind of slipped in the Haiti and hired a jeep and ran around, and it was pretty pretty scary. And we returned that cheap and uh, just tight-tailed it out of there, never went back to Haiti again. I got to say, there's some serious voodoo shit going on down there and some bad karma. 1974, scientists first report that Freon gases from aerosol sprays are destroying the ozone layer. Well, really, who gives a shit? Really. Because the whole thing is... Nobody takes aerosol sprays and goes outside and just sprays and sprays and sprays. If you if you saw a fly, you spray the fly. If you uh, you know had a need the hairspray, put a little bit of hairspray on. And the reason I'm a bit angry about that is because um, I headed up the marketing for a very brief time of a Halon fire extinguisher company out of Marietta, Georgia. and Halon, is the CFC, the chlorofluorocarbon, that is used in computer rooms and in airplanes and spaceships so that when there's electrical fires in most fires, it floods the area with the CFC, this halon gas, which sucks all the oxygen out and puts the fire out, but doesn't leave any damage, doesn't leave any residue or anything on the machinery so that, you know, when you got a fire in a computer room, you don't want to destroy it with foam and you know all kinds of chemicals. You just want the air out. Which, if you're stuck in the computer room and it floods with halon, you're asked to get down on the floor and put your face to the floor because that's where the oxygen layer will be, so you can breathe. Important safety tip. But when the aerosol sprays were known to destroy the ozone layer, the Montreal Protocol, which was a meeting of environmental idiots, banned them, phased them out, and uh, Ruined the fire extinguisher opportunity, shall we say, which was one of the coolest things ever. We'll talk more about that sometime. A year later in 1975, Pink Floyd's concept album, Wish You Were Here, something most people in Portland or Seattle or New York don't say anymore, reached number one in the U.S. and went on to sell 13 million copies. Wow. Still love that album and the album cover. 1980. Chevy Chase calls Cary Grant a homo on The Tomorrow Show. And a massive lawsuit followed. Cary Grant never admitted to being gay. I shouldn't say he never came out, never admitted, so it's not like a crime or anything like that, but never owned up to it, even though he had this very, 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 very long friendship with fellow actor Randolph Scott. And they shared a beach house for many years. And it was just a little bit too friendly, but neither owned up to it. And both died without it ever becoming public. But I think we kind of know what was going on there. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 1981, Sandra Day O'Connor was sworn in as the first female U.S. Supreme Court justice. So uh, how interesting that on this day, all these years later, and a week earlier, RBG is gone, baby gone. Fill that seat. If you think Republicans are gonna wait till next year after the election to fill that seat, you can spit in one hand and wish in the other and see what's gonna be going on there. Now, let's get back to trying to figure out our passwords. Speaking of the Mueller teams wiping things to hide evidence, and that's that's a very worrying thing because by destroying evidence, Team Mueller proved they have a lot to hide. A lot to hide. In fact, they have all manner of ridiculous excuses for wiping more than two dozen of them in the Russiagate investigation. Yeah, you know, maybe one or two screens did get smashed so badly that a wipe was needed. Maybe another phone was wiped by accident, but not dozens and dozens and dozens. One phone, quote unquote, wiped itself according to records that judicial watch obtained thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. Then-FBI attorney Lisa Page's phone had been restored to factory settings mysteriously when the IG's office received it. Well, well, well. How strange is that? And Mueller's top deputy, who I mentioned before, Andrew Weissman, possibly one of the worst people in government, claims he accidentally wiped his phone after entering the wrong password too many times. Twice in one month. March 2018. Funny. More than a dozen of the phones suffered the same accident. And just last week, when Republican Representative Doug Collins wrote Apple CEO Tim Cook, sarcastically asking for details on how such wiping works, quote, It would be truly shocking if the attorneys chosen to investigate the President of the United States, arguably the Democrats' best and brightest lawyers, could manage to inadvertently wipe their government-issued iPhones because they spent hours, hours, entering an incorrect passcode, passcode to a phone they had used for over a year. Hmm, very interesting. We'll talk more about that later. But to get to this point, to get where we are today, it's been kind of a strange week. Been an interesting week. The Week's gone by kind of fast at times, kind of slow at times. We had a pretty wonderful week of weather, and then it just turned the other day. And it's like eight degrees early this morning and rain, freaking cold, rain, back to winter. We had some spring, then back to winter. Spring, summer, winter, which is why outdoor dining only, which is a proposal from the Andrew's government here in Victoria, when dining and businesses reopen in a thousand years from now, doesn't seem to be a very bright idea. doesn't seem to be a very bright idea. Not that there's been too many bright ideas down here of late, but we're still in the bunker. We're still exercising and we planted some lovely flowers in the courtyard the other day. And, uh, That was quite nice. I like a bit of gardening. I don't like the hard work of gardening. I don't like digging and digging and putting up fences and doing stuff like that. But I like a little bit of digging, a little bit of troweling, and putting in nice flowers. Because I love flowers. Absolutely love nature. But I'm not particularly handy. So there is a um, potholder. That will hold three hanging pots that came from the garden center. That's unassembled, flat packed. You know the answer to that already. So um, I think the wife and I'll tackle that in a little bit. Which is strange because my son Stevie has been uh, hard at work demolishing the floor in his house and laying a new floor. And that's like that's like massive. So I don't know where he got those genes from. I don't know where he got that do-it-yourself kind of skill from, because he didn't get it from me. No idea, no idea. May have to get a DNA test, not a COVID test, but a DNA test, not really sure where that came from. Wait for it, wait for it, you know it's coming. Science, bitches. Science, bitches. One of my favorite parts of the show, because just like flowers, I love science. My science teacher at Central High School was Mr. Asmussen, and he was a science maven. I used to love his class. I knew all the answers, so I think he thought I was a bit of a smart aleck. He had the first word right. Anyway, the science story of the week comes from Saudi Arabia. Did you know that human footprints found in Saudi Arabia might be a 100? 20,000 years old? Well, it's true, according to Alexa Fox of Smithsonian Magazine, and if confirmed, the footfalls would represent the oldest evidence of homo sapiens, not homos, this isn't Chevy Chase, homo sapiens presence on the Arab, well, they could have been homosexuals, we never know, presence on the Arabian Peninsula, seven footprints pressed into the parched sediment of an ancient lake bed in northern Saudi Arabia, may testify to human presence in the region. Some hundred fifteen thousand years ago, reports Maya M. Weiss Hai for National Geographic, and I'm sure I butchered her name, but she doesn't listen to the podcast. Archaeologists scouring the Nefwood Desert spotted the impressions while examining three hundred seventy six footprints left in the mud of the bygone body of water by such animals as giant extinct elephants, camels, buffalo, and ancestors of modern horses. Now, a new analysis published in the journal Science Advances argues that anatomically modern humans created these footprints between 112 and 121,000 years ago. Fuck! How does that? If confirmed that would be the oldest for homo sapiens most non-african people alive today have ancestors who departed the continent in mass some 60,000 years ago no not as slaves don't go there but some researchers think that smaller groups of homo sapiens ventured outside of africa thousands of years ago journeying across the sinai peninsula and into the levant in addition to the footprints the lakebed, nicknamed al which is Arabic for the trace, yielded a treasure trove of hundreds of fossils. This is amazing, because, as Ann Gibbons further reports for Science Magazine, the team identifying the fossilized footfalls as humans compared them with tracks known to be made by humans and Neanderthals, a related but separate species of hominin. Neanderthals being most people that think Joe Biden is mentally acute. The seven footprints featured in the study were longer than the Neanderthal tracks, or Neanderthal, if you will, and appeared to have been by taller, lighter homonyms. That's heavy. That's heavy. We love finding the tracks and traces and origins of our humanity because other than the Big Bang, not the TV show, the science theory. We we don't know very much about the early formations of our planet. We know more about uh, the sea and outer space than the own land we walk on. And that's today's science bitches. Now, I don't have some rolling out music for science bitches for you newcomers. We just kind of segue into something else. And that's going to be a couple of little sad things notices that have happened this week one of them the passing of michael chapman who was the cinematographer on taxi driver and raging bull he died at age 84. Uh, one of the most amazing cinematographers of all time and a little bit of an obscurity ron cobb passed away he designed the alien ship and the back to the future delorean he died at 83. And if you've ever seen the Nostromo, the ship of the alien or the breathing tanks and helmets in the abyss or the Omega sector logo and H bombs and true lies and the interior of the mothership and the stranded tanker and close encounters of the third kind and the vehicles of the last starfighter. Yep. These were all his, these were all his, but you got to love the back to the future. DeLorean. In fact, Steven Spielberg, who was a producer on the film, had a question for Cobb. How would you make a DeLorean into a time machine? And his answer was to make it look very homemade, as though Christopher Lloyd's Doc Brown pieced together parts from Radio Shack. His initial design was improved upon by production illustrator Andrew Probert, who added a second exhaust to the DMC-12. And intrinsically related to that, the DeLorean is a new film out with... Alec Baldwin playing John Delorean, who looks amazingly like him, and interspersed with actual footage. And it's called Being John Delorean, and it's about the rise and downfall of the amazing car inventor, car promoter, manufacturer, uh, and his wife and family. It it is a must. It's on Apple Plus, and you can get that just about anywhere that Apple Plus plays. Peter Piper picked a pack of apple pus playing pretty perfectly. So make sure you watch that. He was an absolute genius. And uh, for those that said that he didn't know what he was doing when um, he got involved with a casual $700,000 worth of cocaine on his first shipment. It's a little bit interesting how it all came good. And of course, federal investigators do a little bit of entrapping. I'm not giving away uh, spoilers here. But generally when there's something wrong, the federal investigators entrap. The recent Steve Bannon arrest about building the wall, probably entrapment. General Flynn, entrapment. The Mueller probe, fake entrapment. So um, no, I'm not talking about the election. I promised I'd wait till the week or two before. But I warned you, every 24 to 48 hours, the next five weeks, you'll see some amazing bullshit story drop about the president or any of his men and then mysteriously 48 to 72 hours later it'll just disappear because that's what it's all about it's deface 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 with no merit whatsoever that is the democrats playbook so as a republican we're forced to play defense defense and catch up and for those of you that don't care that's okay just a little bit of information. Facts matter on this, poly- on this podcast. Facts matter. And the reason facts matter is sometimes you just kind of watch a news article or read it and you start to think, fuck, am I crazy? Am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? Have you ever asked yourself that? No, you're not crazy. These days, most likely you're being gaslit. Gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse aimed at controlling a person by altering reality to the point where the person will doubt their own sanity. The term gaslighting actually comes from a 1930s play called Gaslight. The main character in the play literally tries to to drive his wife crazy by gradually dimming the gas-powered lights in their home. When she notices the lights dimming, her husband not only denies that the lights are dimming, he convinces her that she's imagining it to the point where she questions her own sanity. i going to try that. We are living, my friends, in a perpetual state of gaslighting right now. The reality that we're being told by the media is at complete odds with what we are seeing with our own two eyes. You see a third of Seattle and Portland burning, and you see the news going, Oh, there's been a couple of protests, not riots, protests. And when we cre- we question that false reality that we're being presented or we claim that what we're seeing is actual reality. We are vilified as racists or bigots, or we're just crane crazy, just plain crazy. You're not racist. You're not crazy. You're being gaslit. New York state. Did you know has twice as many deaths from COVID-19 woo flu than any other state? twice as many. And New York has accounted for one-fifth of all U.S. deaths. But we're told that the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, has handled the pandemic better than any other governor. He's a hero. But if we support policies of governors whose states had only a fraction of the infections and deaths of New York, we're anti-science and we want people to die. So we ask ourselves, am I crazy? No, you're being gaslit. You see mobs of people looting stores, smashing windows, setting cars on fire, and burning down buildings. But we're told those demonstrations are peaceful protests. And when we call this destruction of our cities riots, we're racists. We see the major problem destroying many inner cities in America is crime, murder, gang violence, drug dealing, drive-by shootings, armed robbery. But we're told, no, 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 that's not crime. But the police that are the problem in the inner cities, the police, we must defund them. We must remove law enforcement from crime-riddled cities to make them safer. But if we advocate for more policing in cities overrun by crime, we are accused of being white supremacists and racists. So am I crazy? No. Gaslit. The USA, my friends, accepts more immigrants than any other country in the world. This is called math and facts. The vast majority of these immigrants are people of color. And these immigrants are enjoying freedom and economic opportunity not available to them in their country of origin. But we are told that the U.S. is the most racist and oppressive country on the planet. And if we disagree, we're racist and xenophobic. Capitalist countries are the most prosperous countries in the world. The standard of living is highest in capital countries, capitalist countries, the U.S., the U.K., Australia, France, Italy. We see more people move up the economic ladder to the middle and even the wealthy class through their effort and ability in capitalist countries than any other economic system in the world. But yet we're told capitalism is an oppressive system designed to keep people down. Communist countries, in closing, killed over 100 million people in the 20th century. 100 million people. Communist countries strip their citizens of basic human rights, dictate every aspect of their lives, treat their citizens like slaves, and drive their economies in the, into the ground. But we're told that communism is the fairest, most equitable, freest, and most most prosperous economic system in the world. So we ask ourselves, Are we crazy? Nope. You're being gaslit. The most egregious form of gaslighting is the concept of white fragility. You spend your life trying to be a good person, trying to treat people fairly and with respect. You disavow racism and bigotry in all forms. You judge people solely on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. You don't discriminate based on race or ethnicity, but you're told you are a racist, not because of something you did or said, but solely because of the color of your skin. You know instinctively that charging someone with racism because of their skin color is in itself racist. You know that you're not racist, so you defend yourself and your character, but you are told that your defense of yourself is proof of your racism. So trust yourself. Believe what's in your heart. Never listen to the people who are now telling you're crazy because you are not. You are simply being gaslit. Now, proof of things like that comes to a little tiny town, a wonderful little town, a happy little town in picturesque Stroud, England. Are you familiar with Stroud, England? If not, there's a job there for you at a hair salon, a lovely hair salon run by a lovely young lady. She listed a job, an advertisement looking for a part-time qualified hairdresser at her AJ's Unisex Hair Salon in Stroud, England. The position called for someone with five years experience of working in a salon. As reported, In Fox News, five years working in a salon and who was confident in barbering as well as all aspects of hairdressing. And the advertisement stated, quote, this is a busy, friendly, small salon. So only happy, friendly stylists need apply, end quote. Oh my God, what a colossal fuck up. Because on Wednesday, Birch said she received a call from her local job center informing her they could not, they could not, they could not run her ad because the word happy is considered discriminatory. I, I, I kid you not. Birch claims the job center told her that the advertisement might make some people feel they cannot apply if they don't consider themselves to be a happy person. Bert shared the conversation on the salon's Facebook page. She claims the man at the job center said to her, I'm sorry, but the word happy is a discriminatory word and we're not allowed to use it. As someone who is not happy would be discriminated against. Can we kill that guy? Are we allowed to? Can we kill someone that is that deranged? That is what the world has come to. Now, I don't suggest we kill anyone on a podcast like this, but if it happened... To be something you thought was a good idea. Anyway, govern yourselves accordingly. Uh, uh, according to Birch, he then said, should we change the word in case somebody thinks that they can't apply for the job because they're not a happy person? Was I being a bit sensitive and is the word happy discriminative or has this world all gone mad? And yes, the world has gone mad. So we hope the lovely Allison Birch will find someone who is happy and someone will take out that person from the job center and make us all even more happy. I wish I had his or her name. We dox them in a minute. Now, you know that Fox sound, that beautiful Fox sound? And if you don't, now you do. That means the entertainment news. And what news do we have? The Emmys. The Emmys had their lowest viewership in the past 27 years. And why is that? I think because people are pretty fucking sick of celebrities, by and large, foisting their ideas on us. But also, in all fairness, it's because of the disparity and the uh, fractured television landscape now that has given us not dozens of shows to be nominated, but hundreds, even thousands of shows to be nominated. Netflix, Hulu, Fox, HBO, Showtime, Amazon, Apple Plus. You know, it's just astonishing. It's, we are spoiled for choice. And the greatest writers in the world. And it's all about the writing. All about the writing. As I've said from day one, you can save a you know bad actor with great writing, but you can't save... You know, bad writing with a great actor it just doesn't work that way. Uh But just the the writing's astonishing. Also, with the pandemic, uh, it made it very difficult to put together a traditional show. Now, Jimmy Kimmel, who is a bit of a, a bit of I don't know what Jimmy Kimmel is. He's a bit of a weasel, but he can be a funny weasel. He's a duplicitous protected species weasel because he can do blackface and ask girls to grab his balls and things like that on TV. But nobody calls him out for sexism or racism or anything because, you know, he's a darling of the left. But that's okay. I don't think anybody should be called out for anything in comedy. So I'm okay with Jimmy Kimmel. And I have to say, he did a very, very, very good job doing almost the nigh impossible, putting, putting the show together with all the cuts and crosses and everything like that and it was very clever it was extremely watchable and I'm really overwhelmed that Jeremy Strong uh who plays Kendall Roy on Succession as you know my favorite tv series right now won the best actor in a dramatic series he was going up against his dad his his uh tv dad Brian Cox and uh, that was, a, that was a, a tough one. I think Brian Cox will probably beat him up for it, too. I think he's still scared of his TV father as well as his real father. But Kendall Roy, uh, astonishing actor. If you haven't watched Succession, watch it now on your you know local streamer, and especially the se- second season. You've never seen anyone go through so much pain and survive as Kendall Roy has to in his family in, in series two, series three starts shooting next month. Can't wait for it. But the, the Emmys by and large were, were pretty good and some amazing outfits. I I love fashion as you know, and we have our fashion segment coming up. Although I don't think I was quite as dressed up as many of our Emmy uh, nominees. Kendall Roy's outfit was very, very cool. Got to admit very, very cool. Very groovy. And, uh, I was okay, and actually I was really okay with all the actors and actresses saying, get out and vote. That's fine. You should get out and vote, and and that's a good thing. But when a couple of them went into their overt liberal, you know, diatribe, that, that's when it just, you know, lost me. We don't need actors to tell us what to do. They can suggest things that are good for everyone. Vote vote Democrat, vote Republican, whatever, do, do whatever you want, but get out and vote. Don't bitch and moan if you haven't voted. This is the upcoming U.S. election, of course. Um, and you had palms in England, you know, and Canadians telling people to vote too, um, as if it matters because, you know, there's no elections going on there. Um, Canadians think they're Amer- Canadians wish they were Americans. Let's, let's be honest. It's, you know, it's not white privilege. It's America privilege. They wish they were Americans. It's, it's a secondary country, and I've got great Canadian listeners out there. I love you, but um, I, feel, I feel for you. I feel your pain. But, uh, you know, what if everything was like the Emmys was all like that? You know, I don't need someone saying you, know, you need to vote for love and truth and uh, get rid of tyranny like President Trump. You know, what if I go to the butcher? I go to the butcher and, oh, wow, that's a nice cut of meat. Wow, that's a sharp knife. Sharp knife? Yeah, that's a sharp knife. How about I cut your hands off with it? Um, Because that's what President Trump is doing to the economy. Oh, okay. You know, then I go to the fruit and veg grocer and go, wow, that's a beautiful watermelon. How much is that watermelon? Well, that's that's about a six kilo watermelon. Um, Hmm, wonder if that's enough. I don't know. Why don't we shove it up your butt? Wow, a six kilo watermelon up my butt. Why? Because that's what it's going to feel like when Joe Biden gets a hold of taxes and starts raising taxes. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. Um, You know, do you see my point? It works both ways. With Trump, Biden, whatever, you don't need people giving you their diatribe when you're in their store, so to speak. Now here, you've chosen to come into the podcast and you can choose to listen or ignore me. You can correct me. You can reject me. Just don't neglect me. You know, I hate that neglecting. So, but by and large, the Emmys um, was pretty good. Uh, the The BLM chant lost me. The Marxist terrorist um, burn, loot, and murder organization lost me. But uh, I enjoyed the Emmys. Those, some, some of you, well, I know we're going to chastise me on this and go, you like the Emmys? They're just a bunch of dickheads. No. Um, great fashion amazing shows you you have to separate the man and the ball you can't enjoy these astonishing shows like succession and um away and ozark and you know I, there's, there's thousands of them in Shit's creek and stuff like that which transparent transparent i've only watched not quite one episode of Shit's creek so now i'm going to have to watch it um because it's the darling and one and everything. And I love the actors. I love the actors because I'm more familiar with them with the Christopher Guest shows, like um, like Waiting for Guffman. And this is Spinal Tap. and Best in Show. Best in Show, one of the best satire comedies ever, also with Catherine O'Hara and, and, uh, and the group. A Mighty Wind, For Your Consideration, uh, Princess Bride. Uh, you know, the, these are... Just astonishing. So Sitz Creek has all of those cast members in it. And uh, we'll just have to give it a go. Have to absolutely give it a go. And Dan Levy in his um, very questionable but very fashion forward. Alexander McQueen coat and skirt. And Tom Brown socks and shoes. I like everything but the skirt. So you won't be seeing me in a skirt in the show notes. Not that there's anything Wrong with it. And also, wrapping up on entertainment, I previewed Ratchet several weeks ago. And Ratchet, of course, started on Netflix a couple of days ago. Sarah Paulson in the uh, origin story of Nurse Ratchet. Mildred Ratchet, who was uh, the evil nurse in the One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest Ken Kesey adaptation to the Milos Forman Academy Award winning film that also starred Jack Nicholson. This show is shit-fucking-scary-and-creepy as I predicted, and everyone involved is epic. And Ryan Murphy is at his best with his writing and directing, but it's the set designs, the set designs that are like a nightmare, fairy tale, orgasmic production designer's dream gone wild. You got to watch it on the biggest TV possible. And uh, we're, we're getting into it. Watching it late at night has fomented some very strange dreams, I must say. And it's um, not for the squeamish, but it's great for the dreamish. So, ready yourselves. On your marks, get set. Bake! On your marks, get set. Bake! On your marks, get set. 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 Bake! On your marks. Get set. Bye. And it's the culinary and olfactory and bivano part of the show. What did we bake last week? Fuck all. Nothing. Because we're waiting for our Nesbitt's giant glass cake dome that was supposed to arrive last week, but will arrive this week that will go on our amazing Royal Albert cake stand. And once you have a cake dome on a cake stand, the thing that you must do you must do is to put a cake in it. And so my wife and I are planning and discussing and cajoling for our favorite recipes of what cake we will be baking this coming week as the cake dome arrives. And I am barracking, rooting for her, her pineapple upside down cake recipe. But I fear she might be wanting to go to perfect the sponge cake which was not perfected last time, even though I thought it was perfect. So just letting you know, a preview of coming baking, it's kind of like a trailer, baking trailer, not kind of like the trailer that uh, Kamala Harris will be living in in a few weeks, but you know what I mean. But as far as beverage, we can talk a bit about beverages because I have created, from several other recipes, a new elderflower gin cocktail. And I must say, you will be blushing all day long when you taste the elderflower, I use Saint-Germain of Saint-Germain, elderflower liqueur. Two shots of that and one and a half shots of Hendrick's gin. And you garnish it with a little piece of pear and a little lemon. And you can even put a white flower in. I didn't have any, you know, cute white flowers to put on there for garnish. But you stir it up with some shaved ice and this is the taste of spring and summer. I mean, it just hints of peaches and pears and lemon. It just, you taste it, oh, it's like a summer garden. And boy, do these things go down good. Now, if you want to spice it up just a little bit, one little shot of cranberry juice. And don't use ocean spray or any of that really, you know, gay, fake, sugared up, all that stuff. Get proper organic cranberry juice and put it in just for a little bit of color, but it's the Saint-Germain, the Saint-Germain, however you say it, elderflower liqueur, which you can get at any good liquor store, which is the drink you will need. You can drink it just over rice, but when you put it with Hendrix gin, whoa. And a couple of those, and you'll be rocking and rolling. So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! Well, ass-kicking is the understatement of the morning. As uh, I did have to dress up in suit for a very special Zoom meeting. And tie and hat. I would love to say that I went out for the meeting, but we know... We're not allowed out of the house pretty much here in Victoria. So in the spirit of spring and the sunny weather that we had earlier, I put on a powder blue Prada lightweight suit and um, stunning Selenio tie and pocket handkerchief. Probably the most dressed up you'll ever see your podcaster, but topped it off with my favorite Borsalino hat. Now, if you're not familiar with Borsalino they are the oldest Italian company specializing in the manufacture of luxury hats. They started in 1857. A hat makes the man, and a hat crowns the woman. In 1857, the manufacture has been based in Alessandria, Piedmont, Italy, and the founder, Giuseppe Borsellino is remembered for creating a particular model of felt hat characterized by the registered trademark, Borsellino. Now, he won the Grand Prix of Fashion back in 1950, and that set the company off into an amazing trajectory. They hit some hard times; they had some good times, but it was the cinema industry that saved them. And in fact, the very famous Elaine Delon put two Borsalino hats into eponymous cult films of the 1970s. Borsalino and Borsolino and & Co. The idea was Elaine Delon's, and Borsolino accepted on the condition that the company logo would appear in the posters. The Italian company was the first luxury brand to give its name to two films. Even Robert De Niro in Once a Time in America wears Borsolino hats. The Triennial Design Museum in Milan hosted an exhibition entitled Il Cinema con il Cappello, Borsolino e altre storie. The actor Tony Servillo wears a Borsellino in the film The Great Beauty, which won Best Foreign Language Film at the 86th Academy Awards. If you haven't seen The Great Beauty, it you don't know cinema. You, you've got to go back and watch it with your family. It is one of the 10 finest foreign films ever. And in 2018, Borsellino celebrated its deep and lasting relationship with the world of cinema by introducing The Bogart by Borsellino a special collection dedicated to Humphrey Bogart. The hat's collection is created in collaboration with the Bogart estate. And also a favorite, at the end of Silence of the Lambs, when you see Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins, walking down the street to meet an old friend for dinner, it's a Borsellino hat that he places on his head. They're not overly expensive. They last forever forever. And remember, if you're not wearing a hat, you're not fully dressed. Now, interestingly, interestingly, <clears throat> yes, let's try and uh, but gulp down my coffee there. Yes, we took a break and made a coffee, a lovely coffee, because we needed it. We needed it. We didn't have a Shiraz this morning like we did last week. Just a coffee. Now, interestingly, Eric Gardner, who's a very very sharp young man, who writes for the Hollywood Reporter? Wrote an amazing article about why cash-strapped towns are suing streaming giants. A bit of a follow-on of our Emmy's streaming review a few minutes ago. Did you know that a, no, a number, a growing number of municipalities are going to court against Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus to argue that these companies, wait for it, need to pay their fair share of revenue as a utility fee get the fuck out of here. Until COVID-19 struck, Mayor Annette Blackwell felt like her city of Maple Heights, Ohio, had finally gotten on its feet again. Had to be in Ohio. What a deadbeat state. The 2008 home mortgage crisis had delivered a financial wallop to this suburb that's 15 miles outside of Cleveland, a town that was once mainly Italian and Polish and become predominantly African-American after World War II, witnessed thousands of bank foreclosures on the bungalows that lined the streets. In turn, that meant numerous property tax delinquencies among Maple Heights citizensry, many who work in the service sector. Well, Ohio State's auditor declared a fiscal emergency. Maple Heights was finally set to escape the clutches of state officials by achieving the goals of a mandated recovery plan when the budget-busting pandemic came along. Blackwell knew she needed to do something bold. Quote, I began looking for every opportunity to bring in revenue, said Blackwell, which is what every socialist Marxist person does. And then she said, I read up and I called her law director. I saw an epiphany resulting from a local business owner sharing a news story about TV streamers. She said, I want some of that money. So In 2015, Chicago had famously enacted an amusement tax that included a 9% assessment on the subscription cost of streaming services such as Netflix and Spotify. And so far, the city has, which is basically a Marxist city, has successfully defended this tax in court, though the legal fight is hardly over. So now cities like Maple Heights, Reno, New Boston are following the lead of Creve Coeur, Missouri, who in the last two years have been in court trying to make streamers pay the same franchise fees that cable operators have traditionally rendered. Now, I'll put a link to the story in the show notes, but it is so back Blackwell, the mayor says, oh, it's about respect, the Maple Heights mayor says, in many ways we're doing business together if there's a natural disaster where they're providing maintenance on infrastructure so that the end product can be delivered. This is such bullshit. This is about taxing an entrepreneur, a company that provides a service, and just trying to scorch them and rape them for money and say that is part of their rights. There's a new book out called In Defense of Looting, which defends the rights of looters who may have come from bad backgrounds and desperate backgrounds and need to loot. Loot to feed themselves. I can't believe this book was even published. Although I'm all for free speech, go ahead and have the book. But what's amazing is the author of the book, who I won't even dignify her name because she probably wrote it in crayons and probably stole the crayons, says it's pretty much okay the loot, depending what background you come from. But in the frontispiece of the book, says you may not reproduce. retransmit any part of this book without express written permission. So in other words, go downtown and loot the fuck out of anything you want, but don't steal this book. Don't steal my book. And a big hat tip to Dan Bongino um, from the Bongino Report for discovering that one. Unbelievable. I can't believe I'm even sharing this on the podcast. I can't believe it's true myself. Man, just about to have a shower after that when I got so excited, but the clock ticks. The clock ticks towards the hour, and I just want to wrap on a happier note, a more philosophical note. Um, we talked about art. Over the we've talked about creation. We've talked about being a creative. We had the amazing Richard Payne on a few weeks ago. We've got an amazing Hollywood star set to uh, a good Hollywood star, meaning he's got normal philosophies. Um, hopefully beyond in the next couple of weeks once we, uh, locked it in. So I won't death curse it and put out a name until it's real. But, uh, I want to share a couple of thoughts from my mentor from many years ago, John Truby, who I brought out here on tour in the, nineties, uh, the greatest writing coach living or dead. And, uh, who was my mentor and turned me on to Lawrence Heath and, uh, For those of you that are writers, or those of you that are even writing in a diary, or maybe you just always had a penchant to want to write a story for your family or kids or yourself, we all have astonishing stories to tell. It doesn't matter who you are. Your life is no more or no less interesting than anyone else's. And I mean that, (laughs) other than mine, of course, please, come on, let's put it in perspective. This podcast is about me. But no, in all seriousness, everyone out there has a story to tell. And uh, one of the keys in everything that I've written, whether it's comedy or adapting a novel, a true story, whatever, is I try and put my philosophy in it. You know my philosophy from this podcast. I'm about family. I'm about rights. uh, I'm about anti-oppression. I'm about freedom of expression. And uh, I can be very ranty about that. But you know my philosophy. We are all born equal. we are all equal, but we become unequal in the marketplace by the time we're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, by the value that we give to the marketplace. The, the more we give back, the more we contribute to society and, and in some way make us from. It's not about money, it's about, contribution. So in other words, if if you're a bank teller, you don't get paid as much as the bank manager. Why? doesn't mean you're a better person or he's a better person or she's a better person or you're a lesser person. It just means that they give more value. It's harder to replace a bank manager than it is a bank teller. If you're Tom Cruise and you're making $70 million a movie and you're an unemployed actor with amazing skills, Tom Cruise may or may not be a better person than you. We're all born equal. But you can be replaced because nobody knows who you are in the industry. But Tom Cruise is irreplaceable because his name opens films. Um, if you're Elon Musk and you've created a company like Tesla and SpaceX and all of that, he's more valuable to the world than you or I because there are very, very few Elon Musk, maybe not more valuable than you are. We don't know yet, but most likely than most of us because he has done something that no one else has done. And that's just the commercial marketplace. That doesn't mean what you contribute to the world or contribute to society, but that's just on a fiscal monetary level. But on an ethereal level, on a level of contribution and telling story, you, you want to tell your philosophy. You want to share your philosophy. And that's what I use in my storytelling. In in these stories that I'm telling you right now, the stakes are really much bigger than you think. And these principles, as John Truby shares and I share, apply to your life. But before you can talk about, you know, how you can become smarter and wiser, you need to understand why that's so important for your success, not only as a writer, but as a human being. Because the truth is, Writing and life are intimately connected. You can't do one without the other. You can't do one without the other. If you're wondering how stories change our lives, ask yourself, why do we read and watch so many stories over the course of our life? Why do we listen to stories like that I share on this podcast? Because story gives us a blueprint for solving life's problems story leads to life wisdom. When I first saw To Kill a Mockingbird, I knew I wanted to live a life like Atticus Finch. I wanted to be that guy on all levels. Failed, but still trying. But it doesn't stop there. It's a feedback loop. Story wisdom creates life wisdom. That creates story wisdom, and then so forth and so on. So, If you learn the tricks for a successful life, you also learn how to tell a great story. And the ideal is a free flow of information between the two. If you're writing a story, it's all about the interconnectedness of story and life and how each helps the other. You'll not only write better, but you'll also have a better life. It's win-win on the highest level. And that's why I love sharing stories with people because stories that made me a better person, I hope passing those stories on can make you a better person and have a better life. And regarding your life, I'll leave you with the thoughts of a wise man, Bernard Malamud. We have two lives, the life we learn with and the life we live with after that. Suffering is what brings us towards happiness. I hope Roy Hobbs learned that, and I hope we all learned that too. Have an epic week. Big show next week. Big show. See you next Friday.